Hey, Barry. Hey, Al. What's a Kraken's favorite food? What? Fish and chips. It's time for Compelled Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Al. And I'm Barry. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition actual play podcast. Previously, on Capel Duel. We took a lot of damage. I don't think we can limp to Pearlport like this. Ah, no. We'll have to stop the next island we hit and hope it's inhabited so we can get some supplies. It is, again, just this burnished black leather bracer. I'm going to push the gem again. Knife's gone. I push it again. It's back in your hand. Oh, that's sick as hell. There are just these bright white scars in jagged Lichtenberg figure patterns stretched all the way across the front of your chest and over your shoulders. That scarring has extended down your back on both sides of your spine in a pattern that almost looks like wings. Number one, your whole ordeal has given you another sorcerer level. And number two, your subclass has changed. You are no longer a divine soul sorcerer. You are now a storm sorcerer. Would be just our luck to run up on East Cliff when we need supplied. The last century or so, they've had a hurricane over on the other side of the island. They've had a hurricane for the last century? Well, we'll be damned. I'd bet you 50 gold pieces this is Cave's work. I don't feel good. I was exaggerating yesterday. I'm going back to trance. No, you're not. Who's Kiva? Oh, it's that conversation. Okay. Miss Rose, you, uh, wouldn't happen to have any kind of vessel that we could borrow to, uh, take a bit of a trip. There's a wee fishing boat you three could use if you, uh, really feel that you're up to it. Leo goes, oh, we are. And the captain goes, we are. We are. Let's go. Not long after this exchange, the three of you are crammed into this little one-sailed fishing dinghy, headed straight into the gaping maw of a hurricane. Leo looks intensely seasick, but fiercely determined. The captain looks like he very much wishes to be swallowed by the sea. (laughs) (laughs) He's wrestling with the sail, one hand back on the rudder, trying to keep this little boat going forward and not capsizing and killing all of you. Well, he would be fine. (laughs) I think the stress of the week he's had might make his heart give out if that happened, actually. So I don't think he would be. Okay, that's fair, yeah. As the wind and torrential rain and waves coming up over the side of this little boat are buffeting you back and forth, and Leo is valiantly trying not to lose his lunch, the captain yells up to you at the front of the boat, Right, lass, you got any plans? 
Uh... You pause, and he lets out this hysterical laugh. <laughs> well, don't look at me. I'm just driving the boat. That's all I do, right? I just drive the boat, and things happen to me. We'll unpack it later. He kind of looks around and looks up at the storm and just kind of makes a frustrated noise in the back of her throat. And I think she starts to cast control winds or something. I don't think she really knows what she's doing. I think Leo would notice this because Leo is familiar with her magic. She just kind of raises both hands like she is pooling power for a spell. And the rain just stops in a big bubble around the boat. The wind just changes direction as opposed to like a hurricane swirling around. So it's just ushering the boat towards this landmass. So mechanically what I just did is I have a new feature because I changed subclasses to storm sorcery. And I have a feature called storm guide where I can just do that. Yes, you can. You can control rain in a 20-foot radius and wind in a 100-foot radius, centered on you. So that will absolutely do it. Do you have your orb out for this? Yeah. You notice as you pop up this bubble of protection around the boat and the rain is dripping off the sides into the ocean, the wind calms, the seas around you calm in comparison to what's going on outside of this bubble. Your orb looks really weird. There's electricity inside it in a way that you have sort of seen before, kind of that glowing and dimming light, like something inside of it is breathing almost. But it's a different kind of electricity. It's less lightning and more like a plasma ball. You know what I'm talking about? Like the little lamps from the 90s that you can touch your finger to and it makes the little connection to your skin? Yes, and then your hand smells like a penny for like hours, yes. You have those little arcs of Tesla generator-like electricity coming out into each of your fingers from the middle of this breathing, glowing center of this glass orb. And your hand tingles in a weird way that you've never really felt casting magic before. But as the boat moves forward and you keep this circle of protection up around it, you see the entire massive towering structure of this hurricane in front of you part, like a door opening. And the seas around you, even outside of this protective bubble, instantly calm. Fee blinks and then very quietly puts her hands back in her lap and just holds the orb in both of them and then says, well, I didn't know I could do that. The captain slowly reaches up and just flicks some water that has pooled on his face away and then goes back to trimming the sails, muttering mutinously under his breath. So the rock does magic and the cape is real and the cape does magic. And there's a girl, and she does magic. There's a magical Kiva cave out in the middle of the ocean. You know, I really fucking miss when all of this was just philosophy that I was too dumb to understand. <laughs> I'm sitting down and he is standing at the sail, so he just like reaches out and pats his knee. I'm fine. I'm fine. This is the weirdest fucking week of my life, and that's saying something, but I'm fine. 
And you guys continue sailing forward into this parted storm. You land the boat on an island that looks very much like the one Eastcliff is on, just miniaturized. It is still this spire of rock sticking straight up out of the ocean, very tall. The storm closed behind you when you sailed into it, so now you are just in the eye of this hurricane, watching the clouds and the rain and the lightning swirl around you. It's very dark. All of you are relying on your dark vision to kind of get an accurate picture of what's happening here. But you do see the mouth of a cave up on a little bit of a ridge, probably 20, 30 feet above you. It's going to take like a DC 10 athletics check to get up there. Okay, um, and I have disadvantage on that. Yeah, Leo's going to give you the help action, so you can just roll flat. So that's a six. You slip and fall on your ass. You're going to take 1d6 fall damage. You only take one damage. And Leo's going to roll. Ooh. Leo also rolled a six. So Leo takes three damage. And the captain is going to roll. And he got a 23. So the captain just effortlessly scrambles up onto this ridge. Stops at the mouth of the cave and turns around as though he has forgotten that you two are not behind him. And then looks down at you and Leo on your asses at the bottom of the ridge and goes, Are you too good down there? Fee just looks up at him, <laughs> gives him a profound bitch face, and says, Well, one of us had a wasting disease a few months ago and the other is still extremely injured, so no. Right. And he lowers down some rope to you two and helps pull you up the ridge so you can get up there. Thank you, darling. You move inward through the mouth of this cave, and the walls are shimmering with aurora-like lights of purples and blues and greens and grays. Perfectly in sync with your orb, perfectly in sync with your cape, if you care to check. The captain doesn't seem to be paying that part much mind, though. He is nodding at the edge of a very still pool of water that is coming almost up to the mouth of the cave. There's probably two, three feet of rock in between the mouth of the cave and the beginning of this pool. And that's going to be the other issue. Cave's in there. What do you mean the cave's in there? Subaquatic cave. You swim down, and then you go through a passage, and then you come up on the other side, and there's air, but, well, in terms of, uh, distance, he looks over at you and smirks just a little bit. I swear I'm not asking this as a double entendre, but, uh, how long can you hold your breath, lass? Thea raises her eyebrows, smirks at him, and starts untying her cape, and says, Luckily for both of us, quite a while. For a half-mile swim? Not that long. So, mathematically, here's what this first leg of our dungeon is looking like. You and Leo have to go half a mile underwater, which is 2,640 feet exactly. With your movement speed halved because of your exhaustion levels, and then halved again because that's what happens when you do not have a specified swim speed in D&D, it is going to take much, much longer than the three minutes that you are capable of holding your breath, given your constitution score, to get through this cave. So you and Leo are going to have to figure something out. 
The captain, meanwhile, is a couple feet away from you, taking off his boots and unbuttoning his frock coat, taking his shirt off, stuffing it all into this big leather duffel bag that looks like it's been waterproofed somehow. He looks back at the two of you and goes, Well, I'll be fine. Yes, dear, I'm very happy for you. Fee kind of bundles up the cape and hands it to him and says, Could you put that in there, please? Certainly. He folds it up, sticks it in there, cinches the bag shut. It looks like everything in there is going to stay pretty dry. He kind of shrugs over at the two of you. I mean, I've never been in the cave personally, but from everything I've heard from the people back in Eastcliff, there's nothing on the other side anyway. Are we sure we want to do this? (sighs) I'm sure that I have to. Leo says. And I'm sure that I have to take whatever steps necessary to prevent all of us from dying a horrible death. And steps up to the edge of the water. He casts Control Water, and uses the Part Water function of the spell. The water in this pool is less than 100 feet long, so you can see the floor of this pool appear as he parts the water, but it leads up to a solid wall of water. There's still this subaquatic cave that you have to get through. He cannot move the spell. He just quietly goes, shit, but keeps it active. All right, we've got ten minutes to figure out what we're doing here, Fee. What can we do? I could thunderstep us about 90 feet a shot, but I can only do that eh, give or take seven or eight times. So that's not going to get us the whole way there. (sighs) And we can't swim the rest of the way without needing to breathe. I can probably only get us about 200 more feet with the power I've got left. I could cast a couple more of these. What if I could give us just enough air to take a breath, and then you thunderstep us, and we swim until we need to take another breath, and then I do it again, and you thunderstep us again, until we're out? Can we do that? I'm holding concentration on this right now, and it's really hard, but I've got another spell that lets me create or destroy water. It's about... Ten gallons at a time, but that's enough space to get up around our heads and both of us to take a breath, right? Yeah, that would probably be enough. I mean, it wouldn't be a a long breath, but... And it's going to be exceedingly dangerous with water disappearing and then rushing back in around our heads, but I can't think of anything else. I don't have anything that can move us. Captain, you're going to want to get out way ahead because those thunder steps can put a hurtin' on you. Oh yeah, that you don't want to be close to us when that happens. The captain nods, goes, aye, and runs down through where Leo has parted the water and just takes a running dive in and swims off. Okay, so we swim as far as we can. I give us a breath. As soon as the water comes back in, you thunderstep us, we keep swimming, and lather, rinse, repeat, right? Right. Yeah, here goes nothing. Okay, guys, give us a second. We're going to have to do a lot of math. Okay, so we did the math. What they can do is they can get down through this 100 feet that Leo has cleared, and then they can swim 450 feet before either of them has to take a breath. So that gets them 550 feet in the first three minutes, and then Fee can thunderstep them, and then because they both have to use their actions, their movements from there are going to be 430 feet in three minutes. So they are going to need to stop, take a breath, cast their spells, 
four times before they get to the end. Okay, so let's go ahead and mark all those spell slots off our sheets. You guys give the captain several minutes head start so he does not get caught in the crossfire of any of these thunder steps that you're about to drop. And then you take off as Leo's control water starts to come down behind you as his concentration erodes and the spell ends. And you dive forward into this subterranean cave. It is pitch black. You are relying 100% on your dark vision to navigate as you swim through this water, holding your breath for as long as you can. Your lungs are on fire by the time you close this first stretch, and Leo grabs you, pulls you to him under the water, and casts a create or destroy water spell. And for a split second, a bubble of air appears around both of your heads. You gasp in a breath, and then as soon as the water closes back in around you, you immediately thunderstep further down through this cave that is winding off through the dark water. As your thunderstep goes off, there's a flash of light, Fee, and you can see along the walls of this subaquatic cave are ancient, crumbling mosaics. You can't even make out what the pictures in them are of anymore, but this place looks extremely, extremely old, like Silent City old. You repeat this cycle several more times before your heads break through water on the other side of this cave. Again, it's very dark, but the walls of this cave on the other side have that same soft aurora-like glow that is slightly lighting up the room. Leo stumbles forward out of the water. (coughs) Oh my god, that sucked. Yeah, that was unpleasant. (coughs) All right. All right, all right, we did it. The captain clearly finished his journey pretty quickly because he's already fully dressed on the other side, waiting for you two, wringing out his hair. He has just like laid down on the ground for a second. She smirks up at him and says, show off. Well, lass, what do I have if not my own panache? He kind of pops the collar of his frock coat and then raises his arms and gestures at this big cave around you. It is totally empty. You can tell that you are standing in the middle of this big stone spire that is making up this smaller island. He nods as his voice echoes off the damp walls. Like I said, never been in here myself, but stories in East Cliff go that uh, centuries and centuries ago, back when people were still settling the coast of Tordun and they'd sail out on raids, townspeople would come here and hide. The humans and whatnot couldn't get through the subaquatic cave and everyone would be safe. Not sure what you were hoping to find in here, Fee, but, uh, looks like some glowy rocks to me. Does the cave that we're in look like the one from my dream? The glowing walls do. You have a feeling that you are probably in the vicinity of the right place, but as you are looking around this room, there's no stone table that you remember from your dream. There's certainly no sword or shield here. You don't see a way out of this cave that is not back the way you came through the water. Can I try to look for anything that looks like it could be part of a mechanism of some kind in the walls? You certainly may. That would be an investigation check. That's a 19. Hot diggity damn. Okay. 
You start physically feeling your way along the walls with your hands over the wet stone. And as you move around almost completely opposite the cave from where this pool of water emerges into it, you feel a dip in the stone. It's like a round, half-circular hollow. About how big is it? About the size of my orb, give or take? Yeah, I mean, if you had to ballpark it, you would say it's exactly the size of your orb. Fee kind of tilts her head and goes, Well, I'll be damned. And takes her orb and tries to fit it into the slot. It slides in, well, like it was made to. And the walls of this cave erupt in light. It hurts your eyes because your eyes are rapidly adjusting to the change of light and your vision whites out for a second. But when you're able to blink things back into focus, there is an archway in the stone that was not there before. Fee turns around and smirks at Leo and the captain and says, Gentlemen. Leo says nothing but looks extremely tired. The captain blinks slowly and goes, Huh, fuck me running. I'll need you to remember that little trick the next time I end up in jail, lass. And then just follows you through the archway. I don't think it would... You know what? Doesn't matter. I can get you out of jail anyway. The archway leads into a hallway. It is very narrow. You guys are going to have to have a marching order to go up because you cannot all three walk side by side. It is spiraling up. It looks like it's headed towards the top of this stone spire. There are no steps. It is a ramp. It's an incline, but it's moving up and around. Marching order wise... Given the physical state that Fee is in, I don't think she should be at the front or the back of the pack. I think if Fee were to stumble or fall and have to take a break, uh, it would be better to have the captain behind her. So I think Leo Fee captain is the order we're going in. I'm going to roll a d4. He's fine. Fee, you're next in the marching order. I need you to roll a d4. Three. You're fine. And I'm going to roll for the captain. <laughs> okay. So Leo treks on ahead of you, headed up this incline. You go behind him, and Fee, from behind you, you hear a thunk and the sound of a door opening, and the captain just goes, Ah! And you hear his scream Doppler as he just completely falls through the floor behind you. What? You turn around just in time to see that the captain has stepped on some kind of pressure plate that has opened a trap door beneath him, and before you can turn around to go try to help him, there is a rattling of some kind of mechanism, and the trap door shuts itself behind him and locks with a click. Muffled from beneath it, you hear, What the hell? Holy fuck! Oh, it's dark in here! She sighs very deeply and says, oh, I'm not having this. And she's going to cast Shatter at the door. Okay, door of this pit has 20 hit points. That's 14 damage, so I'm going to use Empowered Spell. Okay, um, I rolled 19 damage, which is annoying. The door rattles on its hinges and you hear the captain scream underneath it. Normally, the captain would have to roll a con save, but I'm actually going to use my new meta magic option to make sure that he does not take any damage. That's fine. Everything around him is shaking and crumbling. He's still very frightened. 
I'll apologize later. You hear just muffled, furious Aquin cursing under this door. Where in the fuck are my damn thieves' tools? I mean, sweetheart, if you hit it hard enough, you could probably break it from inside now. That's a strength check, and the captain only has a plus one, and it's a DC 20. He's going to try to lockpick his way out, because he has a way better chance of doing that. (sighs) He doesn't do it. It's dark in the pit, man. Leo goes, I got it, and starts running over. The door is still hanging on, so it is this thick layer of stone between you guys and the captain underneath you. But Leo pulls his thieves' tools out of his belt and starts fiddling with the lock. Gets a plus 13, so that's a 26. The mechanism covering this pit gives way with a click and swings upward. And Leo yells down through the now open door, Bet you feel good about those padlocks now, don't you, you son of a bitch? (laughs) Yeah, he laughs. The captain, looking extremely shaken, crawls out of this pit. Right, right, everything's magic, there's a magical Kiva cave, the magical Kiva cave has traps. Okay! Fee is gonna pat his back and say, Darling, if you were waiting for things to get less magical, you really should not be in a relationship with me. And then just starts going. So Leo knows to check for traps now. So he's gonna perception check to do that. Absolutely, that's a dirty 20. He spots another pressure plate on the floor and ushers all of you guys around it. And then you come up to a door at the very top of the spiraling narrow hallway. It's a very wide door, you notice, like big swinging double doors, takes up the entirety of the hallway. But as you're looking at this door, you notice that it locks with a key, not with your orb, like what got you up here. Right, as the only person here who can't pick a lock, I'll leave this to the two of you. Hey Captain, how about you let the professionals handle this, Leo says, just with a shit-eating smirk. The Captain is cussing him out under his breath, but allows it. I think as Leo's doing that, Fee's gonna, like, try and subtly lean on the captain because it's been a long walk and she's really tired. He holds you up very carefully, just closes one arm around your shoulder and squeezes. Leo's feeling a little uncertain, so he's gonna take a closer look at this lock before he tries to pick it. Okay, so that was an 18 investigation check. And then he's going to go ahead and make a thief's tools check to try to open it. Oh my god. That was a 16, even with his plus 13, because he rolled a 3. And that was A, not enough to open the lock. And B, enough to trigger the trap that he didn't find. Oh, damn it. Okay, so Leo's going to have to roll a constitution saving throw. With disadvantage, because it's against poison and he is Australian. Why does this keep happening to him? (laughs) A natural 20 and a natural 1. <laughs> so, being Australian, Leo is vulnerable to poison damage, which means he's going to take 32 poison damage as a poisoned needle shoots out from this lock and jabs him in the hand, and he's poisoned for the next hour. So you and Leo both now have disadvantage on ability checks, and also Leo has disadvantage on attack rolls for the next hour. This needle jabs out of the lock as he tries to pick it, and he goes, Ow! Shit! And then reels back, looks down at his hand, and just lets out this 
significantly louder, more worried yell of pain. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Ow, ow. All right, Captain, your turn. Shit. He's going to reach out and grab him and go, let me see, let me see. Yeah, it hurts. The captain looks a little afraid, but he pulls out his thieves tools and is going to take a crack at it. This time the trap has already been triggered, though, so he's not going to get hurt by it. He is just kind of like turning Leo's hand over and goes, I mean, do you not have some kind of cleric thing now that you're using that that would help with this? I was a little too worried about controlling the fucking ocean this morning to prepare a greater restoration. Ugh. That's fair. I'm sorry. I'll handle it when we get back to town. Oh, son of a bitch, that hurts. Okay, Captain's gonna roll a Thieves' Tools check. Captain gets it. So the door swings open with a click, and you look into this chamber. Again, same softly glowing walls lit up by this aurora-like pattern that matches your orb and your cape. And in the middle of this chamber behind the door there is a big, flat stone table. Sitting on top of the stone table are two things. A beautiful, looks like maybe mithril longsword, with an ornate leather-wrapped grip, and at the pommel of this sword, there are empty tines of metal. It looks like they were made to wrap around something round, at the pommel of the sword. Next to the sword is sitting a big, also appears to be mithril, kite shield, inscribed with a jagged bolt of lightning. And in the middle of the shield, there is a divot in the metal, perfectly round half-sphere, looks like it was meant to hold something round. There are two items before you, and from your pocket, you feel the orb buzz with electricity. I'm going to pull the orb out of my pocket. It is still flashing with that weird new kind of electricity, that kind of plasma ball energy that arcs out and into your fingertips as you hold it. The orb has done kind of that empathic communication with you before when you had your first sort of conversation with Kiva after meeting the captain, and you got that overwhelming sense of peace and assurance when you asked if you could trust him. It does that again now as you are looking down at these two items on the table. You can tell that the orb is drawn to both of them, but you have this powerful gut feeling. That you can pick one, and if you try to pick more than one, that some deeply bad shit is going to happen. I think she got her cape back from the captain back in the other cave. She's going to straighten it on her shoulders, and I'm going to try to suss out what these things do. That is going to be an arcana check. You do have disadvantage because of your exhaustion levels. Okay. Ah, uh, that's a 10. A 10 is exactly what you needed to find out anything about what either of these items do. You get a very vague magical sense about both of them. Number one, you can tell that the empty spaces in both of these items are going to fit your orb. So that is going to turn whatever you pick into a spellcasting focus in addition to whatever else it does. 
as far as your arcane sense of what they do outside of that, you have a feeling that the shield will do something to boost your defense, but more importantly, the defense of others. And that the sword will do something to increase your damage abilities. I'm going to pick up the shield. Okay, are you plugging the orb into it? Yep. You instantly attune to it, there is no waiting period. You have acquired the magical item, the Tempest Shield. It is a spellcasting focus, so that means you pretty much just got a free Warcaster feat. You can cast as long as you've got the shield in your hand. It is a plus one shield, and it also gives you the protection fighting style for free. If you are within five feet of another creature that you are allied with that is being attacked, you can use the shield to impose disadvantage on attacks against that creature. And as you pick up the shield and slot your orb into it, and it attunes with you, you warp out of the space that you're in momentarily. The captain and Leo fully disappear. You're still in the same room, but Kiva's standing on the other side of the table. Arms crossed in front of her chest, nodding slowly down at where you're holding the shield. Interesting choice. Was it the right one? There are no right choices, Ferrara. There's only looking at the situation at hand and asking yourself, what are you going to do? Fee looks down at the shield, nods, and says, Well, I'm figuring that out as I go. As are we all. You see Kiva's head tilt down as they look at the shield in your hand, and one glimmering hand emerges from their cloak to almost touch it. But then she pulls it back away, and you see that crackling electric facial expression from within the shadows of the hood turn up to look at you. May it serve you well. And then you are jolted back into the space with Leo and the captain. They look like you've been standing there the whole time. And, hey, fun and sexy thing about what just happened, Fee. You're a level one paladin now. Hell yes. The captain kind of looks around the room, blinks over at you, and goes, Right! Go what we came for, then! Let's get the fuck out of here! Could not agree more. Let's go. As you're going back towards this doorway that you came in through, you notice that on the wall directly next to the now-open doors, there's a big metal lever set into the stone. Fee looks at it for a second, and then says, Huh, wonder what this does, and pulls it. From under your feet, you feel the stone rattle a little bit, and you hear a big echoing clunk, and then the rushing of water. It sounds like water is pouring out of this pool down at the bottom of this big spire of rock that you've been up inside. But then behind you, you feel a rumbling in the stone. The three of you turn in unison to look behind you, just in time 
to see a big trap door open in the ceiling of this chamber and a massive stone sphere drops out of the ceiling. As you look down beneath your feet, you see that the floor underneath you is also slightly tilted and this thing just starts rolling towards you. Oops. Leo lets out a scream of rage and just starts sprinting. I am also going to do that. Uh, My speed is still halved, but I'm going. Before we go any further, everybody roll initiative. Leo rolled a 23. The captain rolled a 21. And 11. And the sphere rolls with plus eight to initiative. 14. So here we go. Leo's up first in the initiative. He's taking a dash action and moving 60 feet down this ramp as fast as he can. The captain is going to use his cunning action to do a double dash and running ahead of Leo, shoving past him, moving 90 feet down the corridor. The sphere's going before you do. You are still in the doorway. You are going to need to make me a dexterity saving throw. 12. uh... B, you take 67 bludgeoning damage as you get run over by this rock. You have two hit points left. The rock is rolling over you after your brother and the captain. What would you like to do? I'm gonna shakily, because I have two hit points and I've had a very bad couple of days, step back into the room and I'm gonna cast telekinesis on this big rock. It moved 60 feet. You have got exactly the range for that. I'm gonna grab it and just move it back into the room and try and wedge it behind the table. (laughs) Okay, you do that. The floor in this room is still sloped. It might roll. I would advise you to move your ass. I'm gonna get 15 feet out of this room. And then when it's my turn again, I'm gonna thunderstep as far down this ramp as I can. On Leo's turn, he is stopping his movement when he sees that you are not right behind him. He sees he gets smushed by the rock and then stagger out into the hallway after you have telekinesis it back into the room. He grimaces at you sympathetically and goes, Ooh, ouch. He doesn't have a regular healing word, so he's going to have to do a mass healing word because that's all he can do at this distance. So you get 10 hit points back, and he is waiting for you to catch up. Captain's too far down to see what's going on up here. He's going to use his second turn to double dash again with his cunning action. He's most of the way down this ramp. Uh, When it comes back around to my turn, I'm going to thunderstep and draw even with Leo, and then stagger, and I think sit down, and just say, I don't think I can move anymore today, unless it is into a bed. Okay, and now I'm going to roll for the stone. I'm just going to roll a, uh, let's call it a strength check. Nat one. It is still behind the table. It is not moving this round. Back up at the top of the order with Leo. Leo's going to hit you with a fourth level cure wounds. And you get 17 more hit points back. So you're up to 29. He hauls you back up right by the elbow and goes, You're going to need to move a little further, and keeps pulling you down behind him. 
Captain, again, is way far down ahead of you guys with using all those double dashes. I think he's all the way down at the bottom of the tower by this point and is just going to wait for you to catch up. So I'm going to roll another strength check for the rock. The rock is now starting to roll again, but you guys have a good bit of distance on it. Do you want to use the rest of your actions to just dash out of here? I'm going to thunderstep us down again. All right, so you and Leo thunderstep out of this ramp down at the bottom in the archway that had opened in the cave. You can hear the grinding of the stones starting to roll again up above you. And as soon as you teleport into this open space outside the archway, the captain reaches out and grabs both of you by the back of your shirts and pulls you flat up against the wall. Fee hisses because the massive amount of nerve damage that she's taken to her back has gotten uh, hit with a rock and now thrown against the wall. Sorry, sorry, it's just, uh, I think that thing's... And then you hear the grinding of stone and this big rock comes launching off the bottom of this ramp, goes bouncing across the floor of this big open chamber and crashes into the wall on the other side. And then for a moment... Everything is silent. I'm thinking now that we maybe should have waited a couple days to do this. Leo looks over at the rock and blinks a couple times. I'm thinking maybe we shouldn't have done this at all. Let's get the fuck out of here! The pool at the bottom of this cave has totally drained. You guys can walk back through. I am not walking. I was not kidding. I am making the captain give me a piggyback ride the entire way back. He does that very willingly. But as you move back outside into the open air and you look around to where your little fishing boat is docked on the beach, the storm around this island has totally disappeared. It's not there anymore. Well, that makes this easier. The captain reaches up to grab one of the hands that you have looped around his neck and just squeezes it. I think it'll be easier with a bottle of rum once we get back to the village. Wholeheartedly agree. I am so tired now. And you guys pile into this fishing dinghy, you with a new religious experience, the experience of being run over by a rock, and a new magic item all under your belt. You all manage to limp your little fishing boat back to Eastcliff. I still have all of my second level spell slots open. I'm going to burn all of those on Cure Wounds, and Fee gets back 52 hit points. Nice, that gets her back up to full. I think she's kind of dozing in the boat, but she kind of reaches over and pats you on the head as you funnel all of these Cure Wounds into her, and you get back five hit points from her new Lay on Hands ability. Boat keeps going. Fee just fully dozes off. I'm planning on just sleeping off the rest of my healing. I'm functional. I'm up and about. So I'm just going to help the captain get us back into port and get Fee up the stairs. You pull into port. The captain looks at Fee fondly and then reaches down and just like taps at her cheek until she wakes up. All right, lass, back up you go. And then just scoops her back up onto his back, looks at you and says, I've got her if you need a minute. Is there anywhere in Eastcliff that you can get a drink? No, it's not big enough for a tavern. But drinking alone on the boat is a noble and storied tradition. Got it. Awesome. You get her settled in back up there and 
If she wakes up, just tell her I'll be there soon, okay? Will do. Yeah, I don't know how alone I'll be on the boat, but I'm going to go back on the boat and find a great big bottle of rum. Yeah, there are a few people on the boat, but it's the middle of the day. A lot of people are up in town. You find yourself a big bottle of rum and down probably an inadvisable amount of it. For what I'm thinking of doing next, I need to be somewhere private. Are the captain's quarters locked? Yes, it's not a very complicated lock. You could probably pick it. Excellent. I break into the captain's quarters. <laughs> Let me roll for thieves tools. 28. You handily break this lock, which you're going to have to explain later, but... I'll explain it with, this is for the glue and the padlocks, you asshole. And that's fair enough. You get into the captain's quarters. I'd like to go sit down at whatever desk is available, and I pull out my crystal ball. The person that I'm trying to scry on is very familiar to me. That's already going to be a minus five. I will leave this up to your discretion as a DM. I think I have a physical component. Okay, what is the physical component? Leo still has his signet ring that he left Australia with. It is the signet ring of the Grand Duke of Australia, which means that it is an heirloom. It has been passed down from Grand Duke to Grand Duke. At some point in his life, Morlin Valsine owned this ring. I will note that everybody else in the world, other than Leo and Morlin, who has ever owned this ring, is dead, and thus cannot be scried upon. Can I count it as a physical component, like a possession or a garment, to take some more points off the save? I will allow it. So that is going to be negative nine to the wisdom save that my father is going to get as I set up this spell and cast a scrying spell on him. Morland does not have proficiency in whiz saves, which means as a baseline, he gets a plus four. He gets a negative five to save against the scrying. That is a 14. My spell save DC is a 16. What the fuck is he doing right now? Your father is in his office. You see him sitting at his desk, and across the desk from him is the very familiar figure of one Vice Admiral Defiance. As she's sitting there, your father is saying, Maybe you should try a little harder. Defiance says, Your Majesty, I am doing my best. Morlin makes a noise of just disgust, and you watch him stand up from the desk and start pacing. He just very calmly says, Vice Admiral, I know better than anyone how stubborn my son is. But I would also think someone of your caliber would be able to puzzle her way out of this situation. Don't you agree? Defiance says, I don't enjoy the thought of being shot full of lightning. Your Majesty. So all I have is my words. Morlin makes a sharp gesture. He says, Look, stubborn though he might be, the boy is also very suggestible. If you give him something he thinks he wants, then it will make things exponentially easier for you. 
Apparently what he wants right now is to think he's doing the noble thing and protecting his sister. So I suggest that you leave her out of the equation. He makes a vague gesture out the window. Let him think he's playing hero, throwing himself on the sword. I don't care what you say. Because it doesn't matter. I'm sure sailors of the caliber that serve under you can grab one little girl with no magic and delusions of grandeur. Defiance. Tilts her head a little bit, she says. A fair assessment, I'm sure. I will. And she bares her teeth for a second, and she says, Try again, your majesty. Morland nods to himself, scrubs a hand down over his face. You'd better. I expect to receive a missive when you land in Pearlport. Now, if you would... And then he gestures her towards the door. And Defiance stands up, dips a little curtsy, and walks out. I'm keeping this crying going. I keep watching him. I have two more spell slots left. I have one third level and one fourth level. I have sending prepared. I cast sending at third level to my father. I get 25 words. The message says, You've got one thing right, old man. Your son is protecting his sister. Someday soon, there won't be anything to protect you from me. Through the scrying, you watch as your father, sitting at his desk, straightens up, and his posture goes very stiff. He tilts his head like he is looking around the room. I'm going to roll a quick arcana check. 23. He doesn't quite lock eyes with your scrying sensor, but he definitely looks toward it. You watch this just little bitter smile cross his face. You get a sending in return that says, That's a nice party trick. You could stop what's about to happen. All you have to do is turn yourself in willingly. I've got one more spell slot left. I'm still maintaining concentration. I use that last spell slot to fire off another sending. I don't think I will. Kimrel sends his regards. Which one of us is really doing his work? I know the answer. Do you? There's a long pause as he continues looking at where he thinks the scrying sensor is. And then his lip curls. And you get a sending back that just says, I will see you soon, darling. Remember that you chose this. I'm watching him. I'm watching him until that ten minutes are up. He stays trying to keep eye contact with the scrying spell until it runs out. As soon as the spell runs out, I put the crystal ball away. I walk off the boat as calmly as I can, go down the dock. And then as soon as I am around something that I can destroy, I just chill touch, sacred flame, toll the dead, everything in a ten foot radius, and scream. And then Fee needs him, so Leo's gonna put himself back together the best he can and take off up the stairs back towards town.
the room where she's been staying, her brand new (laughs) shiny shield is leaned up against the wall and her cape is thrown over a chair. She is out like a light in the bed and the captain's just laying next to her braiding a little bit of her hair, just smiling fondly. I'd like to double check to make sure that Fee is out. It seems like she was already planning to go into a trance, and also she took a lot of pain medication before she did. You could probably have a parade in here and she wouldn't wake up. Leo is very carefully controlling his own body language and his movements so as to not absolutely hulk out in the way that he very much wants to right now. He grabs the captain by the shoulder very tightly and leans down into his ear and whispers, We're gonna have company when we get to Pearlport. My father's sending defiance, I don't know for what, but it's not gonna be good. The captain goes very, very still. He nods to himself and then slowly untangles his fingers from Fee's hair. Right, we'll have to, uh, he pinches the bridge of his nose, he says, we'll have to plan for that. Captain? Aye? As carefully and quietly as he can, Leo nods down at Fee. He wants her. The rest of us, I think he wants dead. But as the only other person here fully apprised of the situation, I think you need to know that. The captain follows your gaze, looks at Fee for a long moment. And then he nods, and he says, Well, that just isn't going to be fucking happening, is it? No. No, it's not. I'm going to take a walk. And then he just walks out. Fee's still more unconscious than not, makes kind of an unhappy noise in her sleep, and just curls toward the warm spot in the bed where the captain was. I lay down and I grab her hand. It takes a couple weeks for the ship to be seaworthy. In that time, I think you were all just hanging around East Cliff. I think you spent a lot of spell slots making food, unless there's anything else that you would like to do. I would like to attempt daily to keep scrying on the old man, actually. You manage to do that for like a couple days, and then it starts getting blocked. Like, magically. Like, you are not able to scry on him anymore. As you leave the village of Eastcliff behind, what are you doing? If we're on the boat headed for Pearlport, I'm probably just up on deck trying to do rogue practice, like throwing the knife at a target and then using my bracer to zap it back into my hand repeatedly. As you're doing that, Fee walks up to you and just kind of tilts her head and goes, that's a neat new trick. Yeah, I'm practicing. Lairil Valsine is not a serious man by nature, or at least he didn't used to be, but he has been very grim throughout the entire time that the ship has been sailing towards Pearlport. He has been very serious and very quiet. Fee, I think, after those couple of weeks in East Cliff, is mostly back on her feet. If you've asked her, she is still in a significant amount of pain, but she is physically up and going. She gingerly leans against the wall next to your target, raises her eyebrows at you and says, So, you've had quite the bee up your bonnet. You want to talk? 
Leo throws the knife at the target again and then zaps it back into his hand. I may have done something stupid. Fee tilts her head and I think smiles a little bit and she says, Is this where I get to talk about how much I don't like fuck around and find out, Leo? Well, the thing is that I didn't do either of those, actually. It was the old man that fucked around, and then... (laughs) Unfortunately, it was also the old man that found out. You know that was a super ominous thing to say, right? You know you can't end the sentence there. Yes? Oh, I'm well aware. Just checking. What did you do? Well, when we got back from the island, I thought that it might be prudent to check in on him and see what was going on there. And it turns out that what was going on was some irredeemably vile shit, as per usual. And I'd been trying really hard to keep the fact that I had magic from him this entire time, because I was really waiting on the surprise. You know, the the moment of, yeah, fuck you, stab, stab, magic, magic. Yes, of course, the classic maneuver, stab, stab, magic, magic. It turns out that he said a few things that were so vile that I made a bit of an impulsive decision to, um, drop a sending spell and let him, to a degree, know how much I'm capable of. Oh. Fee pinches the bridge of her nose, nods to herself a couple times, and says, Well... I hope that was worth it, I suppose. Don't think it was, but I sure hope I scared the living dog shit out of him. Leo throws the knife again and zaps it back into his hand. Okay, well, uh, he knows what both of us are capable of. Now, then. Uh, Which I suppose will be a problem for when we face him. Uh... And speaking of things that we need to consider in terms of magical abilities and things that everybody knows, we're not too far out from Pearlport. I don't want to go into too much detail about what I heard, because it was, for the most part, awful and useless. But I want you to make me a promise. Uh, sure? Once we dock... I don't want you going where I can't see you. And if that becomes impossible, then you need to not go beyond where the captain can see you. Can you just promise me that? Fee bristles a little bit. Despite recent events, I can take care of myself. I don't need you or the captain looking over my shoulder. Fee, I am well aware of just how informed about the situation you are, so I feel like it is necessary for me to tell you that Defiance is likely going to be meeting us in Pearlport, and she has orders. You need to not go anywhere alone. I... Oh. For just, like, a second, Felix really afraid... So she'll be going after me, then. Can't say I didn't see that coming. Alright, fine, I... 
I won't go anywhere without backup. Well, if it's any comfort, at least she wants you alive. Everybody else in this situation, I don't know if I can say the same for. And on that note, I don't think you should go anywhere without backup either. Wasn't planning on it. But it's good to know that we're in agreement that we've got each other's backs once we make landfall in Pearlport. She gives you kind of a weird look. She says, well, yes, that was never in question. Yes, of course. You're right. Fee snorts, and she says, nice to hear you recognize it, but who are you and what have you done with my brother? Not quite sure what I've done with him yet, but I'm someone that loves you very much. Is that enough? Yes, you sap. I'm going to reach out and hug her. Fee, you're on a several-week journey from Eastcliff to Pearlport, but there is no need to wait for Pelican to call Land Ho as you approach the city. It is the dead of night as you are sailing through these storm-tossed waters with thunder and rain pounding down around you. And the city of Pearlport appears like a beacon off the prow of the ship. You immediately think of the walls of the cave where you found your new shield that lit up with these stormy shifting lights of grays and blues and purples and greens. The entire island where the city of Pearlport rests glows in a very similar way under the moonlight as you approach it. It is massive. This city is easily twice the size of Gimtarum. It is huge. And it looks old. Something this big has to be old. The scuffle of the crew running back and forth, getting ready to pull the ship into dock, has woken you up, brought you up on deck, and you are standing in between Leo and the captain on the prow of the ship, just watching yourselves sail in. Is there anything you would like to do before you dock the ship? I think Fee is too busy looking at the city to think of something to do. I'll give you a choice here. You can roll perception or religion. Well, my religion modifier is double my perception one, <laughs> so I'm going to roll that. I'm going to use a reroll. 16. As the ship cuts through the water, rolling into the harbor of this massive city that is shooting up miles and miles over your head, you remember a certain passage in the book about how Demora, this mythological figure, had a hammer that could forge sea and stone and wind and light. And you watch as this island glows in the night, and you feel something just at the core of you, deep and ancient, that for a moment... You're not sure that you know what coming home feels like, but you think that this must be something close. 
You move into the harbor, the crew sets about mooring the ship down onto the docks, and you hear the door from below decks crash open underneath you. After a few seconds, Miriam Adler comes storming up the stairs, looking tired. She's in her pajamas, very noticeably. Ah, well, I hate to ask it like this, but are we there yet? The captain noticeably flinches and goes, Aye! You know, every time I hear that absence makes the heart grow fonder, I just keep thinking more and more that it's bullshit. Roll insight. That was a nat 20, so it's a 19. I think with that nat 20, the captain feels so off kilter that he does reach down and try to grab for your hand and squeezes super hard. You watch him looking at the opalescent glow of the city under the moonlight. He reaches his other hand down and rubs at one of the big horizontal scars across his chest. And then he looks down at the floor beneath you as if he is staring down into the cruise quarters beneath your feet. The ship finishes moving its way into port and the crew starts doing what they need to do to get you all docked, throwing out ropes, dropping the anchor. The captain still looks really freaked, and Leo looks uneasy, but determined. As far as you can tell, your brother looks way more equipped to deal with the current situation than the captain does, and the captain is not trying super hard to hide it. He's gonna squeeze his hand. Miriam Adler, out of everybody on this deck right now, looks the most wholly unbothered by everything. She's looking off towards the lights of the city, arcing up across this big mountain ahead of you. And she goes, Oh, Kiva's breath, the legislators are gonna... And then she pauses, because the captain puts one hand up. Miriam, we're gonna have to belay that conversation. Miriam tilts her head to the side. Ah... Why? Because my wife is home. As you are standing there with the captain and Miriam and Leo on the prow of the ship, you hear something really weird. Thud. 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 Like metal pounding into wood. And in addition to that, you hear odd metallic jingling in time with this weird percussion i'm gonna walk over look over the side with a jingle and a thud and the sound of dripping water you see an australian elven woman loop one leg over the railing of the ship and clamber aboard. Brown skin, dark eyes, slate gray hair, leather bracers laden down with silver bells on her wrists and ankles. Sabine Javaris takes two steps over towards you, Fee, immediately and closes two wet but warm hands on either side of your face. Are you alright? 
I, I'm fine. This is quite an entrance you're making. I would really like to kiss you on the mouth right now. She very firmly locks two hands on either side of your face and pulls you very tightly into a quick and fleeting kiss. Because what happens next is that she pulls back, snaps her head around to look at the captain, raises one hand and flicks her wrist so that her bracer jingles and a ball of fire appears in her palm. Hello, sweetie. The captain had dropped one hand down to the cutlass at his side, but then raises both of them slowly over his head. Now, last, we don't need to get too hasty about all of this. Let's just sit down, have a chat. And Sabine fully chucks a firebolt at him. Okay, let's let's all calm down. Sabine did not hit him with that firebolt. It sizzles into the damp wood of the ship behind him. The captain, still with two hands up, raises both eyebrows at her and goes, Oh, you just tried to shoot fire at me. All right, so we're doing this. He reaches down to his belt, unsheathes his cutlass, and takes one big striding step towards her. Everybody on the deck is going to need to roll initiative. And that is where we are going to end for this week. Bet you wish you hadn't chickened out now, huh, bud? Fuck! (laughs) I thought she'd be in town. I could explain the situation. And that's just not how it turned out, was it? So we're going to figure out where this goes next time. Compelled duel. Hey, everybody, Barry here with the postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. You can find us on social media on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at Compelled Duel. You can also find us on TikTok at Compelled Duel Audios, where we post audio snippets from the show. We have lots of other cool stuff available, like our official Spotify account, our official website. You can find all of that linked on our various social media profiles. We do a weekly Q&A live stream over on our YouTube channel, so if you want to head over there and subscribe to us, come hang out while we answer some of your questions about the episodes and generally just have fun, we'd love to see you. If you're liking what you're hearing so far and you'd like to support the podcast, we ask that you consider heading over to patreon.com slash compelled duel and checking out some of our patron benefits. Starting at just $2 a month, you can get things like early access to new episodes, access to exclusive playlists, other bonus episodes and bonus content, or even letters from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting the podcast in ways other than pledging to the Patreon, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you would consider leaving us a rating and a review because that helps the show get promoted to a wider audience and helps us grow our listener base. And as always, word of mouth advertising is the most powerful tool available to us, so if you like the show, we just ask that you tell a couple friends about it, and if they like it too, ask them to tell a couple friends. Episode 14 is going to be going live on Friday, September 10th, 2021, or if you are a member of our Patreon, you'll be getting your early access to that on Thursday, September 9th. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next week.